What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Other harness don't. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's the same place they play so far. Everything with an attitude. Got a balance. I don't give a shit who we're playing. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Tom, that cigar smoke, ooh, it smells sweet, right? Yeah, man, uh... All these Bama fans know how big of a rivalry game this is. You know, Saban acknowledges that. Saban knows that, you know, this is one he marks on the calendar. You know, he wants to take care of business. And it was nice to it was nice to break a couple records for football history at Tennessee. Uh, I think we broke a record of our Tennessee losing 12 in a row to Alabama. They've never lost to a team 12 times in a row. And I believe the other record they broke – was the number of points that they gave up. Yep. Or, or either or either it had been quite a long time since they had given up that many points. So it to was, have these two things go in the Tennessee uh, you know, history book at Alabama's expense, man, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it, this was definitely the most points that uh that Alabama has scored in this rivalry. I don't know about the history of of the Tennessee defense, but but yeah, it was nice to uh to push that total up. And and you know what? Um it was nice to do that at their house. Oh, sure. But, but I mean, you know, Tennessee's got great football history like Alabama does, right? And you and I have been on both sides of this streak. And this is why we talk about, you know, Bama fans enjoying this while you can, right? We might never see Tennessee lose 12 to Alabama in a row ever again. Probably won't, right? If we're a realistic fan, right? Probably won't. Right. And so uh, just enjoy this moment and, and just take it all in. And uh, for that to be in the books for Tennessee fans to to kind of dwell on for the rest of their lives is pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's like a, a little sort of throwaway comment that motorcycle riders will say to one another. They'll say, "Stay on top," right? And and so it's nice to be on top of the series, right? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, and you know, I will say real quick before we dive into this game. Obviously, I have a lot of respect for Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, obviously, Jeremy sure. Pruitt. Uh, kind of, you know, he owes it to Saban for for getting to where he is from his days at Hoover High School. Uh, he's one of those guys kind of like Kirby Smart that I, you know, I hated to see leave. And, um, you know, I just want to say real quick that kudos to him for having the balls to go for an onside kick, which was very well done when he knew he was going to get the ball to start the second half. And he saw an opportunity, even though, the, I mean, he loses his starting quarterback, right? He doesn't have the horses to play in this game. But he says, if I can do an onside kick and somehow get a score and go into half time down by 14 and get the ball to start the second half, I at least give this team a fighting chance. And this is why I don't, you know, from Bama fans, you know, <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt's going to come a call in one of these days, right? Just like Kirby Smart's already doing. He's a damn good coach. And uh, that was a pretty ballsy move on his part, and it almost worked. Yeah, I think it was. And and I think even in the context of, you know, this this game, I don't think had they recovered that, 
And I, I don't know that that was going to materially change the outcome, but it sends a message to his team, to that fan base, to the recruits out there. Uh, it does send a message that would bode them well through and, and even in not getting it right. It's almost he's in a no lose situation. We're outmatched if we don't get this, but at least we're willing to take a shot. At least we're willing to do something. And that's a message to the team, to the fans, to the organization, to the recruits. We're going to turn this thing around and we're going to be in some ways unconventional and we're going to continue to fight. And that's what we're going to do. And so hats off, you know, not only for doing it, but I think there's a larger audience for that. There's a larger message that he was sending there than just trying to do something in this ball game. Oh, absolutely. But just given what he was up against, right? Just kudos for him for, you know, for taking that chance kind of deal. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, well, obviously it was good to see Tua uh, in the game, uh, I guess, because he practiced all week. Obviously he was wearing one of those uh, heavier knee braces like all the offensive linemen wear now. So obviously there's still something to it, right? Sure. Uh, and when he did get tattooed, you know, got a good football clean hit by, you know, mm -hmm. the linebacker who had sat out the first half, you know, his teammates pick him up so that he can't even like he purposely didn't even put pressure on his leg when they lifted him off the ground for him to kind of jog off. So obviously there's still something there, uh, but kudos to him for going, knowing he's got to buy a week. Uh, which comes at a good time, but what, what was your what was your thoughts on seeing Tua out there? Yeah, I kept wondering, and and we talked about this last week, right? We kept wondering how long is he going to play? Is twenty one okay? It's not twenty one. Is it twenty eight? No, it's wow, it's not twenty eight. And then he came back. Oh, it's halftime. Okay, and then okay, it wasn't halftime. And so you kept thinking, and then every time you know, and then there was a stretch there where Tennessee was uh, you know put up a a couple of points, and you think. Well, then maybe he comes back to see if we can answer back. And he and he and he kept doing that. And um, and of course, he on on the play that he got <clears throat> that he got dinged, you know, he scored a touchdown there. So that was good. And so that was a nice sort of exc uh, exclamation mark. But it's almost like it's almost like the coach has a plan of when he's going to take out Tua, and it's right when he tweaks his knee. <laughs> and so, well, I don't like that plan. <laughs> that makes you wonder what was the plan, right? Right. Because to your point, it's 42 to 14 at halftime. And I get making adjustments. I get coming out in the second half and, and being a part of that. I get all that, right? Sure. But he had very effectively answered a, you know, kind of fluke touched. I mean, I won't say fluke touch. Okay. Well, obviously, it was a pick play on the touchdown sure, that sure. they did not call. But for Tua to come back and execute the two minute offense and only use one timeout, right? That was a good note to end on. And yeah. I think it would have been a nice story to say, we're starting a new trend. Now we're going to start a streak of how many times you don't play in the third quarter, right? To go with you not playing in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's there's a lot of things that I, I still want to see from Tua. I mean, I want to watch him throw touchdowns all day long. But there's nothing else, especially in the context of that game, there's nothing else that I need to see from him. Well, you know that it wasn't lost on the LSU players when they watched the the film that he gets lifted up after that touchdown to Ruggs. He gets lifted up by his players to where he doesn't even put pressure on his right leg at all. Um, there's still something there, man. You, you, you know, uh, I get that he practiced all week and we weren't there and we don't see what he really did in practice. Did he just stand up? Did he sit in a chair and throw the ball, right? Who knows? 
there's definitely something there, and I would have loved it in hindsight if he could have come out at the end of the first half and never took that kind of shot. So. Yeah, I would too, right? I would. It would be. It would be. Uh, you're spot on. It would be great if the last vision of him was not being picked up by his fellow players. If it was him just sitting on the sideline coming out of half, it would. It would be because all that does is is sort of rekindle the question if he had played the first half and then didn't play then you could reason that the knee's fine because we didn't see it not be fine and even with the bye week that last lingering image and and to the extent that this maybe even fuels lsu the last image is him being picked up by teammates and 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 quote unquote not allowed to come back into the game although he could have and all of those things so more than one thing can be true in this. He can truly be okay. He can truly be okay at the end of two weeks. Uh, but none of that sort of re, re erases the image there right there at the end. No, absolutely. And I'm going to make a quick comment here to get your take on this. And if any Tennessee fans happen to want to listen to this, we will get emails for this comment. Oh, uh, um, I can't wait. But there has been Tennessee teams of old that would have gone for his knee in this game from the get-go. Oh, yes. And and I'm going to contend that Jeremy Pruitt being at the helm is why that did not happen. I will actually say that kudos to Daniel Batuli, uh, if I'm butchering his last name, who who was the guy that, you know, sat out the first half and and was the middle linebacker who, who made that hit on Tua. Uh, it was a perfectly clean hit, and he did not even go for the leg at all. Uh, but you know, Tennessee teams have passed with fat Phil. you know, that that would have been like an objective in the first quarter. So Tommy, not that we hold football grudges here on the Alabama football podcast, but, uh, you wouldn't be thinking of, uh, Al Wilson and Sean Alexander, would you? Absolutely, man. And so, right. and, and so it, it just goes back to everything we're talking about. Right. And so as we go forward, you know, coach Saban needs to keep that in mind. You know, there, there are, there are teams out there that say, Hey, <laughs> right now, what's what's keeping Alabama to this line of absolute ridiculous perfection is one guy. And, you know, there are players out there that say, hey, I get a 15-yard penalty. It might be worth it. <laughs> so, well, I, I would say this. Um, I think I'm not I'm not advocating that, obviously, but I'm just saying that, you know, you yeah. and I played football and we understand how it's played. And it's a tough, you know, it's a tough physical game and and things happen. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, we've got one more team like that on the schedule that uh, you yes. know, with which I have that concern. Yes. Um, but but hey, let's talk about um, and look just a minute, right? And this is how dominant Tua is. You know, in the first quarter of the broadcast, the announcers are just trading Tua stats, uh, and then here we are, this far into the podcast, and we've not yet talked about his brilliance, and 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 we're probably not going to spend a lot of time on it, but. You know, he was absolutely lights out. He had an, a four touchdown day. Uh, I think I saw a stat where there was only been 18 or 19 four touchdown days in the history of Alabama quarterbacks. Tua has five of them, which is itself crazy. Uh, and that pass to Waddle, I don't think you see a better pass than that. I think well, it was I great. I started to say, let's talk about that for a quick second. Okay. Okay. Because obviously his line gave him time to throw the ball. And his presence in the pocket of just having, you know, just having a sense of, you know, buying time, right? But not taking his eyes off of the receiver. 
It goes back to what we saw in the Vandy game last year, right? That's why off when he made that that spin move and still launched that ball in the Vandy game, that's yep. where everybody should have just got put their beer down, got up out of the recliner and said, something smells different about this kid. Yes. There's something different right here. That should have been the oh shit moment of what? And every fan across college football, when they watch that ESPN highlight, should have been, Alabama's got what? What did he just do? When you saying that makes me want to go back and listen to our Vanderbilt tape last year because that play, I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to that play about, and they look at me like I'm crazy. And, and I say, you've got to see this play. I've been watching football for as long as I have, and I've never seen anything quite like that. And so I want to say that we talked about it in the podcast. I well, want to go back no, and listen we to did. And, and we need to go back and, 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 and review it, but I, I absolutely think we did. But that play to Waddle, you know, Gary Danielson, who I have a lot of respect for, sure. you know, talked about his ability to not only go through his progressions, but his accuracy with the long ball. And I'm sorry, the cornerback on the left side, okay, who had nobody to cover, who had pinched down outside the uh, the right tackle, he kind of reads Tua. Tua. Tua literally like, you know, had gone through his progressions, but then he saw Waddle and the cornerback sees him and, and the cornerback basically takes off. And, and he starts making a full-on sprint to try um to try to get there and and he's still able to drop the ball right over his head and he can't get there but like he knew it was coming and just yeah. took a dash to the ball and still couldn't get there because he threw the perfect ball and it goes back to whoever whatever TV on game personality at the beginning of the season was talking about you know some quarterbacks can throw the ball through the tire okay but Tua can throw the ball through the keyhole on the front door. Yep. Well, that's it right there. He literally dropped the ball when they knew where it was coming and they still couldn't freaking stop it. And it was like a 45, 50-yard ball in the air on the fr- – I mean, when they talk about – when when all these scouts talk about a quarterback can make all the throws, okay, with all due respect, they say that sometimes and they can't make that throw. There's only a small handful of quarterbacks that can make that throw that he did there. Well, and there's making all the throws in, you know, in in shorts and in t-shirts on a practice field against air, and there's making them in the game uh, against a live, you know, against a live defense. And in 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 Tua, and and this this sort of embodies, I think, I don't want to say it's greatness because that that might be yet too strong of a word, but you know, you saw the interview with him after the national title game where he just talked fluently about. You know, he was looking off the safety. He knew he had the receiver. He purposely wasn't looking, and he threw the ball. And it's like he just gave a grad-level class on how to play the quarterback position, if anyone cares to listen to that. Well, in the um, his postgame against uh, Tennessee, he – you know, he he essentially did the same thing. You know, he said he said, and he kind of he kind of he kind of grinned. He was he was nonchalant about it, but he kind of grinned and he said, "Well, that play was supposed to go to Jerry Judy, but I saw the uh, I saw the safety, and I knew uh, I knew Waddle would be open, and so you know, I threw the ball there." And he was almost like, "Eh," you know, kind of dismissive about it. But it was like, "Yeah, that play was supposed to go somewhere here, but I read something and." 
oh, and the result was a 77-yard touchdown. So, um, so there's that. Um, those are two of, if you go back and line up all of his, his passes, I mean, those are going to be two at the top. They're going to be, you know, the, the national title game is going to be number one because of what it represents. But I don't know if there wasn't more uh, sort of raw ability demonstrated in that pass to Waddle. Well, I think I think the Vandy, right, can be and number two. Too. Yes, yes. And I think this might be number three, which is I, solid given all his passes. Well, it, yeah, you know what? You could take those three and pull them out of a hat. And and I and and look, if you really look at them for what they are, the the the, the pass to Devonta Smith against Georgia may be the third. The third best one. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is at one point in the game, he had completed four of seven passes, but two for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? So, all right. So let's, so the next thing that jumps out to me. Can I do one more thing on the, on, on Tua? Yes. This is Tua related. Okay. Um, I, and, and this will be a little bit of a mini rant. Okay. Uh, the, I think the media, the sports media is dumbing down sports fans to the degree that that and and this is this has been sort of a creep 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 to the degree that even Tua was not able to speak to the crown on the field he talked about oh it was a different field that kind of went up and then and then it kind of went back down and no one I mean I've read a lot of football articles in the last you know since the game or, or skimmed a lot of them no one mentioned the crown of the field. And Tommy, I think I think you can almost like set our watch by every two years um, when we play at Knoxville, we talk about the crown on the field. And there's not a properly laid football field in the country that doesn't have a crown on it. I just think it's more pronounced at Tennessee. And so uh, and so where he missed a couple of the passes, I think the win had something to do with it. And I think the crown on the field had something to do with it. And you can't find a single person Unless you listen to, I guess, our podcast, you can't find a single person even use the right terminology. The crown on the field at Tennessee is higher than other places. Why is that, right? So so why aren't they sharing that story? <clears throat> I don't know, but I, I I would venture to say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my tinfoil hat a little bit and, and look at my window for black helicopters, but... If if you were to walk the Tennessee Athletic Complex, I wouldn't I would not be surprised if they had uh, a, a practice field with a higher than average crown and a practice field that's normal. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So the next thing that jumped out to me is Josh Jacobs starting the game. And so this kind of speaks a little bit to the con- to the rant you just had, because I do respect Gary Danielson. He was at practice last year on Wednesdays and Thursdays, right? He saw Tua lighting up the first string defense for, what, 54 or 58 passes or whatever. He knew months and months ahead of time that he was ready for the moment of that Georgia game, right? Way more earlier than anybody else knew, okay? Him and all the other media guys that that come to practice. And so – for Saban to say in his post-game uh, conference when asked about, you know, Damien, that it was an in-house issue or however he worded it, you know, they didn't bring it up the whole telecast. I mean, literally, Josh Jacobs starts the game, and Josh Jacobs, you know, to his credit, the doors open, run through it, and so his first freaking carry, he runs for 16 yards, you know, to the 35-yard line. And so kudos to Josh Jacobs for seizing his moment. But all they said on the telecast was, 
Josh Jacobs has been working for this moment. He's got a lot of talented guys at, at, at running back competing with him, and, and he's earned this start. And so, dude, you know, I, I think that I think they owed it to the fans, right? To sit there and say maybe what Saban said in the post-game press conference. Say that there's there's an in-house issue that's being that's being resolved, and this is why Damian didn't start. Because if any fans listening heard that and said, oh, Josh Jacobs earned the starting job. Are you freaking kidding me? Damian Harris is looking to be the first tailback to ever have three consecutive 1,000-yard rushing seasons at Alabama in the history of all their great running backs. And, and this is a guy that could have gone pro and did the right thing you know, what did the did the unusual thing to come back because he wanted to come back and, and be a part of this program. And then he's not starting the game against freaking Tennessee at Tennessee. And it's because Josh Jacobs beat him out. Are you freaking kidding me? So okay, that's my rant. So what's your thoughts? No, I, I you know, I think I think there's a couple I don't I probably don't go, you know, full on rant like that. I think I think and and look, CBS is and you know, they've got the the SEC, the contract with the SEC. Uh, I think they are very professional in what they will and won't say on the broadcast. There are certain things and, and you have a certain there, there's a and you could any TV crew is going to tell you this. Right. They meet with the coaches. They meet with the teams to prepare for their broadcast. They are privy to information that that the other team would love to have. And and so there's there's category categorizations of, oh, yeah, we can talk about this. Oh, we can allude or talk to this kind of maybe after the fact, like, oh, yeah, we saw them run that trick play in practice. But we're not going to tell you before they run it. Hey, they've got this trick play. And then there's some things that are just out of look, we're not going to talk about this. Um, and so I think I think there's that. And then I think there's some things that. Saban's not going to bring them up. And if he doesn't bring them up, then they don't get brought up. And so do we rotate carries in practice? Yes. Did it probably look any different? Probably not. And so, so there was no question like, hey, why did such and such? It didn't look any different than how it probably has looked. Um, and, and and Saban's not gonna Saban's not gonna say anything. So I I hear what you're saying. It did sound fishy to my ear, and I'll tell you this: like a, a fan watching, that should have sound tricky to their ear. Like, wait a second, Damian Harris? I don't buy that. And 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 I, so I think you and I, when we heard that on the broadcast, it made us think something else. And then you know, and then the question was asked, and 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 then there you get it. But is it also legitimately true? And so if you have a casual fan, has Josh Jacobs been playing well enough that he could be a starter at 80 programs across the country? And has he performed very well the last several weeks? Yes. So I do think that astute ears picked up that something doesn't smell right here. But I think in terms of running the broadcast very professionally that did not raise any um, in any ears or are you know sort of create a controversy? I think they handled it pretty well. I'm just saying, so many times, right? They're looking for controversy, and so just don't tell me that Josh. Okay, if you don't want to disclose it, great, but don't sit there and 
insult me by telling me it's because Josh Jacobs earned the job. Is that just an outright not true? Well, I look, they're running a, a live broadcast there. And so if they don't know the answer, they, you know. Well, just say to, that. Well, no, just say that. Hey, we're actually surprised that that senior Damian Harris, who's trying to break the, uh, you know, the record of three straight thousand yard seasons is not in there. And Josh Jacobs is in and we'll have to find out when we know more. I mean, just say something else. Just don't don't tell me something that is just total BS. That's I don't know. I think I think there's probably axiom axioms, you know, in the industry, and I don't think it's it's entirely wrong to say Jacobs has been playing lights out. And so I don't know. I I'm not as riled up about it, but I I mean I see your point. I see your point. And and look, it smelled fishy to me too. It's like there's a lot of fans that don't follow it the way we do, right? right. And they left there thinking, oh, Josh Jacobs has become the starter. <laughs> so well, hey, real, hey, real quick, you know how we talk about scripting the first fifteen plays. Yes. You know, teams do that. You know, I just thought about something that is so interesting. As quickly as we are scoring, um, we were at we we were three touchdowns up, and we were into our fourth touchdown drive before we got to our fifteenth play. How yes. cool is that? That is, that dude, is. dude. Real quick, to be technical, on our fifteenth play. We were first and 10 at the Tennessee 18, up 21 to nothing. Dude, that makes the job easy for offensive coordinators. Right. Well, if you think about, if you think about, I mean, think about this, right? You're scripting your first 15, and it's like, yeah, this, I, I probably, I, I probably have got an eight play drive and maybe a seven play drive. And, and then we'll look at, you know, maybe our third possession we'll need to start, you know, playing from. And, uh, and that's kind of if you're lucky, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, the reality is, and they're not three and outs, right? It's working. <laughs> you know, It's not right. like they're three and outs and like, ah, we're, you know, so you have to think about how do we have, how do we even have to modify the script before you get fi- through 15? Because it's not like, oh, it's three and out. So I've got a fresh set of downs. It is no, we've scored touchdowns. And then, you know, now we're at the goal line and I don't know. I, I think, I think that is interesting, right? I think you could put those first 15 on a loop. And, um, you know, and, and, and go home early on Thursday. No, absolutely. Well, Hey, something Gary did say on the telecast that I wanted to point out for the listeners is he talked about the use of Irv Smith jr. Oh, um, you know, just in the slot and, you know, his versatility, right. We've already talked about him, you know, lining up in 11 different positions in the formations, uh, the various offensive formations. But I like the fact that, that the first scripted play was to him. And, you know, we, we've done this now for a couple different ball games. Obviously, he had his big touchdown, um, you know, on, on one of the previous uh, uh, opportunities that he got, um, you know, this season. But I, I just like the fact that, that he can just have the versatility to step into that slot due to Devonta not playing and just provide that depth. And uh, that I just wanted to point that out real quick that, you know, because that's just an awesome thing that, that Gary kind of touched on. No, I think that I think that is awesome. And and and, you know, I was going to say Irv Smith just continues to do Irv Smith things. And then and then, you know, this might be the most serious question I have today um, is in, in terms of like the podcast is Irv Smith, our new favorite tight end. I mean, it's a short list. Michael Williams and O.J. Howard, I think, are the other two. Is Irv Smith? Where does he rank? In he would he would be number three. Number three? Yeah. And I was thinking of I was thinking of Michael. I mean, basically, you know, Michael provided 
And and this just speaks to, you know, Alabama's ability to find these guys, right? Like they did with Michael converting him from defensive end and just their ability to, you know, this is the new fullback, right? This is the new fullback in college football that can do so many more things than the traditional fullback could do. Um, but you noticed on one of the uh, short yardage plays, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago uh, about how, you know, uh, uh, what was it? Kendrick James had been, you know, brought in yep. uh, to block and on not a, not a goal line, but a fourth down play. And, uh, you know, it had, you know, the execution wasn't there. And so on the goal line, you know, they had Irv Smith lined up back there and, and, you know, they had that for a reason um, because of his ability to do all the little things. And so, you know, I just, I, I wanted to point out that just his versatility, versatility makes a big difference for this team. And, and I would say, yeah, right now in, in our era of watching football, um, you know, I would say he would be number three. Okay. Okay. That's to that point real quick, let me touch on one of the, um, one of the goal line plays that, that they did score on uh, very quickly. And this just shows you uh, uh, some adjustments that they have made because they were having trouble getting a push up the middle on short yardage plays. And so on the go- one of the goal line scores that they got, Jonah Williams was asked to pull from left tackle, which is not an easy place to pull from. Right. He was asked to pull and follow he he was he was asked to pull and 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 pull in between Pierce Bocker and Alex Leatherwood cuz that's where the that's where the ball was going. Uh, I think on one of uh, Josh Jacobs touchdowns. And so he, he was asked to quickly pull between right guard and center, which is not easy to do that, that quickly at the goal line. And they had Irv Smith lined up in the fullback blocking uh, position and his, and, and the way they schemed the play is he went to fill the hole where Jonah Williams had pulled from. And so I thought this was really smart of, of the, of the scheme here to sit there and say, okay, well, we've got Irv Smith that can just lead the hole at 246, or we can have Jonah Williams lead the hole at 302 pounds. But we're gonna, but we're not gonna let the defensive end crash down and and and, and tackle our running back because we're asking the left tackle to pull. So we're gonna have Irv Smith go over there instead of lead blocking like a traditional block would do. We're going to have you go kick out the defensive end who thinks he can just come in unimpeded because Jonah had pulled. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a smart – I thought that was a smart adjustment that they were doing in, in short yardage plays. No, I like that. And, you know, I, you do – when you think of pulling, especially, you know, you think of pulling inside out, not outside in. And so I think there's a couple, you know, schematic nuances there. Um, and then, of course, using, you know, Irv to, to pick up that – um, you know, because you know the end's going to crash down, um, and so yeah, I think that's that's a that's an interesting scheme, um, and I think the offensive line. I I still want to talk about a couple of skill players, but the offensive line, um, I, I think across the board played very well, and I think some of the time, you know, it'll be a thing of legend. I saw you know, oh, he had five seconds to throw, he had six seconds to play to throw. I saw on Sports Center he had seven seconds to throw. I mean, by the end of next week, you know. Uh, they'll have clips of him eating a sandwich back there, but um, on, you know, on the throw to, to Jerry Judy. But I think the offensive line, uh, especially in pass pro, played very well on Saturday. No, they did. And they they continue to show a comfort level there uh, in their pass blocking. I do think there was some improvement in the run game, mm-hmm. you know, because 
at the end of the game there, uh, when Jalen was in, um, they they had brought in uh, Lomax uh, at right tackle. Yep. And um, you know they had uh, they had brought in uh, Lester Cotton uh, at left guard, and um, you know they everybody in the house knew they were going to run the ball, and this was the take the air out of the ball. And uh, and Tennessee had their starters in the game still. And for the first time this season, I mean, this is Tennessee. Uh, you know, this isn't, you know, the raging Cajuns. For the first time this season, they were able to just run the ball time after time after time after time and get push. And, uh, and you know, Najee Harris was able to do what he needed to do. And so, granted, the game was out of reach at that point, but it's still like Tennessee's going to try to stop the run. They know you're running the ball. They know you're not going to pass the ball. And they were still able to get some yards. Yep. Yep. Hey, hey let me and, go ahead. I'll ask, ask you real quick. Sure. Because Najee Harris has been running yep. um kind of second on the on the well, let me ask you this way. Do you think that did it surprise you that Jacobs came in to start the game instead of Najee Harris or no? No, because I think I think that second position um is really Jacobs. I think the second position, so you didn't like the thought that Jacobs have taken over the number one spot. I hear you there. I think Jacobs has taken over the number two spot. Okay. That's what I was saying. So when he came in, were you surprised it was him not? Because Najee Harris, they scored so quickly. They, you know, the second drive was two plays and the, the waddle was just one play. And so then when Najee comes in on the fourth drive, he comes in on the first play. But then the very next play, Josh Jacobs is back in catching a pass. So it did. It, it was very interesting the use of Najee Harris there. Um, you know, he he only got sprinkled in a little bit on the fourth drive. So you think Jacobs has taken over the second the second uh, spot on the depth chart? I do, and and I hate to say that because Najee I think is as talented as as they as as anybody, and I think he could start at eighty programs. Uh, you know, as well. I think we have you know four backs that could do that, um, and so it's you know, you almost just throw a blanket over them and any of them could start any given week. Uh, you know, we do have sort of a pecking order. And I think, I think when in now I'll say this at about the running back position, probably more so than other positions under Saban, but when you have equal talent um, and they're right, they each sort of do their own thing, but across the board, okay, pretty even talent. If you have pretty even talent, Saban's going to go by class rank. Uh, and then there's your order. The senior is going to play ahead of the junior who's going to play ahead of the sophomore. And then that's kind of, I think that's, I think that's what you get. Um, and so that's what we saw. Um, I think that's what we saw. I'll say this about Najee, man, he runs so angry. I don't, is, I don't even know if he's having fun out there. I mean, he is so angry when he runs and you look at him and it's like, that is one pissed off dude. I just like, is he having fun? Do you think, or he's just like, just I got better things to do. Oh, I think he's having a blast, man. Uh, I'm sure fans have seen his off-season workouts yes. uh, this past off-season and what he has put in to be at this point. Uh, the fact that he came to Alabama with the competition that was here, he didn't shy away from it, right? He could have gone other places, like we've talked about players in years past. Uh, he knew he could have gone somewhere else and been the guy. Yep. But, but you know, he came here. And that's a credit to him and and that particular run where you know he 
he basically leaped over the one player and then pushed the other player down with a stiff arm and kept going. You know, that's what he brought to the Georgia game. Yes. When he yeah. came in and, and we needed that physicality. And, um, you know, just fans enjoy this guy because, you know, this guy might not make the same decision that Damian made. Uh, and if so, you've only got a little bit over one more year to, to watch this guy. He's um, going to be because of the because of sort of the run that like literally the run order. He's going to be gone in a flash. Oh, I mean, absolutely. He's be gone in a flash. And you're going to think. I don't even like almost remember him being on the team. And oh, absolutely. yes, enjoy it like every carry he gets because he's going to break one. And just every carry he gets, he runs with just a ferociousness. Um, and um yeah, he's going to go be a star in the NFL, and people are going to say, "Did he play at Alabama?" I don't remember him playing at Alabama. Um, yeah. Hey, hey, a couple things very quickly. So we don't want to speculate the Damian Harris thing because we don't no. know, right? But I do want to ask you, right? Whatever has occurred, a message was sent because Josh Jacobs had twelve carries, Brian Robinson had thirteen, Najee Harris had nine, Damian had three, and so. I find it very intriguing that he he only got three carries, but when he came into the game, <laughs> uh, it was uh, third and 10 at the Tennessee 7 on drive number four. He catches a ball, goes 11 yards for a first down. Now it's first and goal at the three. He gets the carry to score a touchdown. I find it very interesting that he only finished with three carries on the day but Saban gave him a chance to score in, you know, Tennessee. T I mean, sure. he didn't have to bring him in right there. Like, why does he bring him in at the, you know what I'm saying? He brings, he brings him in at the 18-yard uh, line of Tennessee in the, in the fourth series, and he only finishes with three carries on the day. I just thought that was interesting. No, I think it's Saban saying, I'm mad at you, but I ain't that mad. <laughs> I still really like you. <laughs> All right, very quickly, um, and I didn't get a chance to go back and check this out. Did Lester Cotton start the game? Because I, the speculation was he didn't come in until Lomax came in in mop-up duty. And so I need to go back and look, and I wanted to see if you had noticed that. I think, and, and I've seen it, I've seen a number of people, you know, comment that that uh, that he didn't, that Brown started. Man, I really think Cotton started, and then he was quickly sort of subbed out. I don't mind being wrong on that, but I think we'll check it out. We'll let the next week. I think that he started and then rotated out, um, you know, a, a little bit, a little bit later. That's what I think. I've, I'm going to throw two things at you. Um, I think Jerry Judy's adjustment to that ball, um, you know, he was running a route and and saw that the quarterback had time, saw that he was going to, you know, had a path to go, and he put his arm up and to it through the ball and. And Judy sort of turned and had to contort, took his eyes down, put him back up, found the ball again. That's as fine of a catch is, is a communicative process between a quarterback and a receiver and the adjustment and catching the ball. That's as fine of a play as you're going to see. Um, and, uh, and, and Brian Robinson, God bless the guy for running in garbage time where you knew that we were just going to keep it, you know, inside the tackles. Man, he he squirted through once. And he looked like a guy in an action movie jumping for the ledge of the cliff. He knew this was my only chance to score a touchdown if I could just stretch out that last little bit. And he wasn't able to, but. Uh, oh, had he not lost his footing, he would have scored. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And he just, oh, you could see like the desperation because he knew. 
I ain't getting another shot at this. Well, but he also knows the depth chart, right? Yeah. I mean, dude, yes, you're fourth string. And yes, you're a hometown boy. And yes, you could be starting at other places. But to his credit, okay, uh, he's in a pretty good situation, right? Yeah. We don't need to feel sorry for Brian Robinson. Because whereas Najee Harris could have gone to any program as a number one running back, Brian Robinson could not have gone just to any place he wanted to go to. But he sees who's ahead of him. And he knows that he's only a sophomore. And he knows that 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 he will be asked to carry the load in the very short near future. Yes, I agree with that. Give me your mini game ball. And hopefully I didn't just steal him. <laughs> no, um, you know – it's kind of tough, man. Uh, there's a couple different guys I was kind of going back and forth on. Um, I think I think I'm going to before he gets any bigger. Uh, I'm going to have to give it to Jalen Waddle, who probably doesn't technically qualify at this point in the season uh, because he's already you know done what he's done. Um, but he took a pass from Tua, and Tua threw him into a. A bad, you know, he threw him into coverage, and I thought it could have been targeting. I mean, some of the stupid targeting calls that we've wasted time to review is like, really? And so they review Dante Thompson's, which was obviously not targeting. Right, right, this right. guy hits him helmet to helmet and tattoos him, and he's not a big kid. And he held on to that ball and just – that just – y'all take notice to that play because yeah. this guy – is going to be – I mean, obviously, when I say he's going to be a star, it's like, okay, well, no shit, Tom. We've already seen him in eight games, but you wait. This, this guy is going to be very, very special. I think I think mini game ball for that play is spot on, right? I, you know, for the other play, that's not mini game ball stuff. But the play that he made there, that – and I think that was for a first down, that play is one of those underrated plays that no one's talking about. It's also – there's also something to that play – and, and boy, we spent time talking about, and as soon as it happened, I said, oh, we're going to have to talk about this. Uh, as soon as, and so I'm glad you brought it up. As soon as it happened, I was like, oh, that's one of those times, maybe the first time that Tua has, has sort of not protected his guy, that he threw it where there was an opening, but where the receiver was also going to get hit. Uh, and he was hit, you know, like you said, it could have been potentially been targeting. He, he was hit hard. Uh, and I think that's something that, um, and look, sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes that's, you know, but Tua, I think works hard to avoid that. Um, and that was a time that we saw it. And so I, you know, we had, we had spent so much time talking about it the other way that I'm glad you mentioned that not only for, for, uh, you know, Waddle's phenomenal catch and holding onto the ball, but, um, you know, we saw a little bit of, uh, Tua being human there as well. Oh, sure. And and that was the first time this season I believe he's done that. Yes. And so that was pass attempt 151. There you go. So I'm just saying, going back to some of the other things we talked about of old, right? That's why these receivers love playing for this guy so much. Yep. Hey, we, we, we'd be remiss real quick if we just don't touch on Jalen's interception, okay? Okay. And I should have mentioned it a second ago, and I know I know I'm, I'm encroaching on your mini game ball. Um, just a really bad decision. Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to pile on here, but he didn't sense the he didn't sense the guy coming quick enough. And then when he did see him, instead of trying to sidestep his way to throw the ball away, he he just misjudges it and goes goes ahead and throws the ball. And the guy's able to deflect it to allow the defensive end to, you know, to to intercept the ball. And 
And and and I hate it for Jalen that it happened, but it is a reminder for the listeners of you know why two is in the position he's in. So I just I just wanted to bring it up. No, I think that's fair. I I go uh, I go my mini game ball, and we we've already talked about him just a little bit. Uh, but I go Deontay Brown, uh, whether he started or whether he came in early. Uh, I'll give that a wash. He came in and played with the starters. Uh, for a significant portion of the game, that speaks to him uh, practicing and competing week after week. Uh, he didn't he didn't end fall camp as a starter, but he did not stop competing for a starting role. Um, and the fact that he came in there and and look, I know Cotton was a little bit dinged up a couple of weeks ago, and so uh, Brown's been playing a little bit more, but he is taking that as an opportunity to compete. And, uh, and there was a reason that he got significant snaps with the starters and the fact that when the backups came in, and this was something I was specifically watching for when the backups came in, Lester cotton came in. That tells me we're not protecting an ankle injury or he wouldn't have come in. That means he may have just been beaten out. And then what I and then the next connective tissue I take there is if Lester Cotton has some fight in him, Alex Leatherwood better watch out because that's his right guard spot that Cotton spent the season at last year. Well, and it sends a it, it, you know if there's an underpinning to sending the message to Cotton right, who's a senior, then that's okay, right? Because yeah. you know competition is good. Yep. So that'll be um, fun to play out. Take us to defense though. All right, so um, I just wanted to I, I wanted to quickly touch on the uh, the sack play that that caused the fumble uh, because just like on the offensive side, I just I love the scheme, and so I, I just wanted to touch on the fact that uh, on the play uh, where the sack is made, you know, on that particular play, they're not. Uh, Tennessee's quarterback is is not surveying, you know, the left side of the field. And so Jarrett's not looking over there. Uh, but even if he's, you know, Gary Danielson tried to hint at, he didn't look over there, so he didn't see it. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I think Alabama does a really good job with these two safeties of disguising it, that even if you had looked over, most quarterbacks wouldn't have noticed anything. Because Xavier McKinney is cheating over a little bit from the middle of the field and the two deep look but you can't tell that he's going to pick up Xavier McKinney's guy. And so Xavier McKinney is so fast and so versatile, okay, that he's able to wait so long before he takes off. And so then Anthony Jennings is able to push his left tackle wide so that Xavier McKinney can cut right underneath him. And this is the second game they've done this now, and I think you're going to see more of this. It's almost undefensible because, like, they saw that the they saw the tailback for Tennessee was on the right side in the shotgun. So they saw that they could expose the left side there. You, I think you're going to see more teams on uh, playing against Alabama who who keeps the left tailback, excuse me, who keeps a tailback in the game to the left of the quarterback from now on because the tailback's on the right side. McKinney cheats, uh, excuse me, McKinney stays in the slot. He doesn't leave to the last minute. And he's he's much he's much faster than any other safeties that we've had before. Yep. And so he's able to get he's able to get there as quick as a cornerback, but lay a hit like a safety. Yep. Just I just love the scheme, man. I, I think that they're going to be able to pull that out of their bag, and I think that's really undefensible. Excuse no. me, unstoppable. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think that um, 
you know, as a quarterback, you should sort of pick up on cues. I liked how Danielson broke that down. There was a little bit of sort of hindsight there. But, you know, the note that I made and, and the thought that I had watching the game is that when we send a safety blitz from the dime, that's almost like we're playing with 12 players. That is, I thought, that's almost unfair. The fact that the front end, uh, especially when you started to stifle the run, and then we move to a dime, and then so now we've sort of got an extra uh, secondary player, and the nickel package has been playing so well. And so it's like, look, we can be a man short up front and still stop down the run. The nickel package is, has played very well. And so you truly have this extra guy. And when you send him on a blitz and he's truly is an extra guy, it's almost like having a 12th man. It's almost unfair. And I love it. Well, and this speaks very quickly to the recruiting nature. Uh, this is why when El when Nick Saban left LSU, right, the cupboard was not bare, okay, unless Miles was able to win a title thanks to Nick Saban. Because look at all the guys they've lost to the pros. They lost their entire freaking secondary, okay? You lose junior Ronnie Harrison as a junior, okay, who was like all, all world, right, sure. I mean, last year. Well, guess what? This kid – was not even on the two deep last year. He was not on the two deep, okay? You had Hootie Jones backing up uh, Mika, and you had Deontay Thompson backing up Ronnie Harrison. Yep. So this guy wasn't even listed on the two deep. And in my opinion, is he quite as physical as Ronnie Harrison? No, but he's faster and he's more versatile than Ronnie Harrison. While Ronnie Harrison, was, while Ronnie Harrison evolved into being more adept at covering receivers, McKinney can do that already. I think he can. I think he has more coverage skills than Ronnie did, right? Who's obviously a very successful player. Sure. Uh, and he's he's got the speed and the coverage skills of a cornerback, but he can lay the wood like a safety. Yeah. And the fact that he wasn't even on the two deep, right, just speaks to Saban's ability to recruit these freaking players, which is why people like Tua and Najee Harris comes to Alabama. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, it's just an embarrassment of riches. Right, right. Uh, so let me ask you this. Um, this, this is more of a, I'm a, let me throw some things at you. This is more of an essay question. So all of these stats are true. Uh, the defense held Tennessee to 258 yards, held them to 38, uh, 31 yards rushing, uh, 258 passing. Tennessee only had, uh, they were three of 13 on third downs. So not very successful there. So the defense played very well, according to those metrics. Defense gave up 21 points. What's, you know, is there a cause for concern? Is there a whistling past the graveyard? Are these meaningless points? Um, you know, what do you think? Well, I think that, you know, the defense gave up 14 points, right? Because, you fair. know, Jalen's interceptions returned for a touchdown. So that's that's not on them. And so I think that you have got, I, I think on the situation, uh, the second the second touchdown was total total gimmicky. I mean, literally, and and the the tight end just he doesn't even try to catch the ball. He's like totally picking on the play, and doesn't even like just runs sure. right into. Uh, the two defenders and the running back bleeds out in the flats for and they 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 didn't even flag it. So I mean I guess I'll start there with you. Was that was that 
receiver interference because it sure looked like a pick play. It looked like an obvious pick play, and it looked like way more than what you know than what Clemson even did in the national championship game. I think that I you know that's almost like the RPOs where the offensive linemen block downfield. That there's a little bit of it that's allowed. There's a little bit of it that's okay. But everyone's pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope. And then two years later, you've got a lineman eight yards down blocking, uh, and and Auburn, you know, throws the ball for a touchdown, right? And so I think that there's a little bit of that's that is a trend that has been growing. The, the officials need to rein back in. The officials need to. You don't get the eight yard lineman blocking downfield anymore because that's been a point of emphasis. I do think that um, that that was in this gray area that has been that is being allowed that three years ago was not, and three years from now will not. I just think we're in this gray area now where. Teams are getting away with more of that, and that becomes – that's in vogue now, right? Shit, if you're going to let me get away with this, then of course I'm going to do this. And so you see more teams doing it, more teams sort of stretching the bounds, and uh, next year, you know, the officials will sort of pat themselves on the back that this is becoming a point of emphasis. That's my thought on that. All right, well, let me talk about uh, the, the concern about the 14 points, right? Uh, on the second touchdown prior to that pick play, Okay, you've got backup quarterback in the game, right? Because of the other quarterbacks out of the game. You got a third and 12 where he throws to a backup wide receiver who, you know, has got some size to him, six foot three. And to to Keller Chris's credit, right? Who is a good backup quarterback, right? For the listeners, right? This guy's got pedigree, right? That is that is at Tennessee now. He throws a perfect over, you know, back shoulder on the sideline pass to his credit on a third and 12 and completes a 23 yard pass. So one play they're at the Tennessee 40. Then the next play, they do a gimmicky play where they literally, you know, get a, they throw to Dwan Jennings again and they get a 40 yard play after, you know, the fumble goes a few more yards, et cetera. And and the now flea flicker. you're talking about yeah, the flea yeah, flicker. yeah yeah so you so you literally you literally do a flea flicker play on the very next play and now you're at the 20 yard line and so I would argue that two plays which granted they could they converted these plays and thank you I could not find the words for the flea flicker for for the life of me um, is on two plays you went from third and twelve at your 17 to now you're first and ten at the Alabama 20 and then you have the pick play and you score. Uh, from 20 yards. So that particular touchdown, while I got to give credit to Tennessee, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of fault there I can give in the defense. So I would argue that the defense really gave up one touchdown in this game. And and because Alabama, you know, hung 58 on them, sure. I don't I don't think there's any cause for concern. I I this this will speak to us just being maybe a little bit of spoiled or or maybe we're looking at games differently than when we were younger, but I got a kick out of the flea flicker. Uh, when that happened, I I had this vision of Jeremy Pruitt walking down the offices, walking down the hall in the football offices and just poking his head in the offensive coordinator's room and saying, I don't care when you run it, but you give me a flea flicker this weekend. When you get this kind of coverage, I just want to see a flea flicker just once. I don't care when I just, and so I, I just saw at his vision of Jeremy Pruitt calling that play on Tuesday because he knew he knows the Alabama personnel. Right. And so he knew 
that, you know, you get these guys on the field, you get this type of, you know, a flea flicker will work. And, um, and with so your I, backup, with, with your backup quarterback, which was kind of like the onside kick, that was a hell of a call to do it with your backup quarterback. I think they would have done it with either quarterback, but oh, that just is extra sprinkles on top. Yes, I, I completely that shows agree. you how good of a coach he is. Yes. yes, yeah, and so I just got a, I just got a kick out of that. Is that is just just one of those things, and uh, and and so I, there's a a part of me that wants to discount that touchdown too. Uh, you know, just by, by virtue of, and so I asked the question, I'll answer it too. Do I, is that, do I have a cause for concern on 21 points? I, I, I don't. And it's for a lot of the same reasons that, that you said, it's a couple of big plays linebackers in coverage. You know, they, they move the ball with linebackers in coverage and there were more than there were there. It, this happened more than once, but there was one time it, it happened and you could see Mac Wilson, running out and all the way like to the sideline. Yeah. Yes. And it sounds like I'm mad at Mac. I'm not, he's one of my favorites, but he ran out to cover a back. Uh, 30, the, yard, 30 yards from his position. Yes. Right. All the way to the sideline. And you could just see the quarterback's head the whole time. His eyes were trying and as you could see his head turn with Mac as he was running out. And, and I just had this, uh Oh, <laughs> Feel it. That's where he's going with the ball. Like his eyes have to be saucers now, but that he's going to get this one-on-one matchup, and and he did. And so, and it was a really good throw. And you just have to, you just have to tip your cap to them and say, good play. Right. Right. And so, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see how we counter that. Do we come back with a little more dime and keep the linebackers in? I don't know. It'll be interesting, uh, but we've got to mitigate that um, somehow. You know, oh, I, well, I think- well, and you and you took him way out of the box. So because of the versatility of our of our two corner of our two safeties, I could see, you know, Mac handing him off to a safety in the future if that if that look presents itself again. Yes, I could see like, you know, there we make a call that says we're going to shift to uh we're going to shift to man to man here. Right. We're going to shift to and I guess that's man to man anyways, but we're going to we're going to shift our 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 coverages especially especially when we're already in nickel and, and then, you know, and then we could go to, go to a dime there. I do. Yes. I do think there's, I think we were in a nickel there. We were in the base nickel with two linebackers. And so they took Mac completely out of the play there. And so they could have, what's interesting about that look is they could have exploited across the middle, right? If they don't wanted to. Exploit, uh, you could do that. You know, you do a couple of different pass across the middle. Yeah. Pass off the middle, over the middle, or just run that, you know, just get their, tackle machine middle linebacker out and we're going to run up the middle. So there's a lot of different strategy that you could do there. Uh, you know, run pass over the middle where there's a, a vacated or, Hey, we've got this matchup over here that is favorable too. So there's a lot of strategy in doing that. Um, and again, that's another one of those things where, you know, Pruitt knows the personnel. He knows that that one-on-one matchup is going to work. Well, uh, real quick on that, on that flea flicker play, and this is not picking on Carter, but in the replay, uh, Deontay Thompson stripped the ball, okay? And so right then, everything was just going right for Tennessee, okay, for them to get that quick touchdown because Deontay Thompson strips the ball, yep. and Carter has a hand on it. And the receiver is on his behind at a disadvantage with all these Bama players around. And Carter, it appeared, right? I wasn't in the scrum, so I didn't see it. It appeared from my vantage point that he just got out hustled for the loose ball. 
okay, and that the and that the the bigger receiver, you know, Jennings, who had caught the flea flicker, you know, comes out of the pile with it, right? And so there's an opportunity where we recover a great play by Thompson, and they don't even get that touchdown, right? right. So I did want to mention that real quick. What I don't understand, and 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 I I, I was thinking there's no way that we don't recover that fumble. And, and so think about the dynamics of the receiver is sitting on his butt, right? right. And, and he's reaching down between his feet to get the ball. Even if he grabs it with his hands, he doesn't have the same leverage as a defender that is laying on his stomach with yes. his chest and arms over the ball. And Correct. so I just thought there's no way, like the physics on that just don't work. Even if he can get hands on the ball, he doesn't have the leverage to sort of rest it away. Yet somehow he did. Hats off to Juwan Jennings, man. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because he, he was at the disadvantage there. Um, what else What else jumps out at you on defense before we do mini game ball? LeBron Ray. Okay. Just, you know, the fact that he got the start for Quan and – you know, he had three solos, but he was he was very active. And there's a little bit of me that's excited, and I'm not mad at Quan, but there's a little bit of, a bit of me that's excited about uh, 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 Quentin and LeBron Ray at those defensive ends. That's an active that's an active pair. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, you guess, know, I, I guess I guess Quentin plays inside. Yeah. But my point is that's an active pair of guys. No, it is. Um, I want to touch on real quick because you were talking about Quinnen. Um, obviously, we we've highlighted him a few times. You know, stepping in. Uh, you know, after. Uh, uh, you know, he he had he had big shoes to fill. Right, whenever whenever he stepped in uh, for Deshaun Hand, and um, uh, literally um, had had huge. You know, had a huge. And I'm sorry, I said Deshaun Hand, Deron Payne. And yep. uh, so when Deron Payne goes, you know, obviously the phenomenal player that he was, he's got a huge, you know, shoes to step into, and and he has made he he's been in the backfield numerous times. But I but I want to quickly talk about you know the safety play uh, because you know Tennessee comes out to start the second half and they're down now, you know, forty two to fourteen, and obviously. We'll talk about the special teams aspect in a minute, but they're on their, you know, they're sitting there on their three yard line, first and 10, and you got a backup quarterback in the game who loses his footing, gets stepped on by the left guard and, and falls in the end zone. Well, the announcers didn't bring this up. Okay. But when you go back and watch the replay a few times, you can see how Quinnen Williams just eats the left guards lunch. All the other linemen are getting a push. To, to unfortunately, and the defensive linemen are not penetrating the line of scrimmage. The only guy that has gotten pushed on that play was Quinton Williams. And he was so quick off the ball and got his hands on that guy so quickly that it, that the guy had to step back with his right foot to get leverage because he was getting beat so quickly. And he steps on the quarterback, which causes the quarterback to fall, which gets yep. the safety. Yep. And so I was just so happy that, that, that you know he's a nose tackle, right? You don't get the pub, right? And so you don't get opportunities to make such an impact play because you don't get all the sacks and that kind of stuff. But what a huge play he got to do and to cause that safety, and that was just awesome. No, it really is, and 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 I'm sure a lot of programs do this, a lot of coaching staffs do this. But you know, one of the things that that we do is we award um, 
and there's probably a better name for it, but, you know, defensive productivity points. And I think Quinnen has been the leading scorer in, in that metric all season long. And that's another example of affect the quarterback, do something to affect the quarterback. And even if, and, and even if it feels like it's removed, like I'm going to launch myself into, I'm going to thrust myself into the, you know, the, the offensive lineman that affects the quarterback. And that's just, that's a fantastic example of it. All right. What else you got before we do mini game ball? We got a, uh, a listener question. And if we have a chance to, to do some of the feedback we've gotten, we'll, we'll hit that as well. But we got a listener question I wanted to throw at you. It is a question that we have even stopped asking ourselves. And uh, I'll throw it at you. Where's Ben Davis? You know, there was a Ben Davis uh, sighting on the sideline. On the sideline? Yes. And so actually uh, in the fourth quarter, um, when the when the backups are in the game, there was a shot of him up on right there on the sideline, helmet all strapped on and uh, suited up, and um, that's a good sign because because I think he's been banged up a little, and so I, I think there's going to be a Ben Davis sighting in the next couple of weeks. You're going a different direction that on that than than I was. I would say that. It, it is telling. It is telling when our positive metric is that he made the travel squad. No, I, the dude. The dude did have. The dude has had some injuries that I think he had to deal with. You know, okay. in fall camp, and so um, I think you will see this guy before the season's over. Really? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm not sure I agree with that. That's as okay. Much as, I, as much as I hate to say it, because I, you know. He came in with Mac, right? Those Ben Davis and it was Lindell, uh, uh, Lindell Wilson, but but nicknamed Mac. And so it was Ben Davis and, and Lindell Wilson that were the two like premier linebackers, and uh, that you know we're going to fill the middle for for you know years, the next sort of phase. And one of them has you know proven out, and the other has not. And so I'm I have I am. And look, we don't. And so maybe it's injury. So maybe that's it. But what we typically see, even with, and I'll pick on, I'll pick on Reggie Raglan a little bit. There was, you know, there was a point in Raglan's career where I thought he's going to get covered up with the incoming recruiting classes, and but he kept contributing on special teams, and and I thought this guy is going to be a career special teams contributor because he's going to get covered up with the new incoming classes. And all he did was just sprout and become, you know, a, you know, an all conference player. Um, and, and we, I, I don't see that same trajectory with Davis. I don't see him contributing. Um, I don't see him contributing at all, much less significantly on special teams. And I see him not about to have an emergence, but I see him about to just, get washed out. And I hate to say that, but that's, that's what I see with Ben Davis. Well, I think that, you know, he's a red shirt sophomore and sometimes, you know, it, it's a complex scheme to pick up. And I am just going to tell you that, um, I will put out for you that I think next year he will be starting next to Dylan Moses. Oh, wow. Oh boy. Yep. 
Wow. And so, and so I think that this is a guy that, um, you know, when, when, when that Virginia tech game happened and Reggie Ragland is, you know, in that game, um, you know, we were sitting there in that game and we were saying, okay, you know, we're concerned about our inside linebacker position, right? And we're concerned about what these guys are going to be able to do. And so your whole comment about Reggie Raglan, Reggie Raglan didn't kind of blossom to late. Right. And so I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not turning the light out on Ben Davis yet. So here, let me paint the picture that I just heard you say. One of the one of like in the recruiting history of you know under Saban, one of the surprising sort of little facts is that uh, Julio Jones and Robert Lester came in together, same class. I think they even played high school together. Five years later, five years later, which is feels like a lifetime in college football, Julio is in his second year being a star in the NFL, and Robert Lester is having sort of a breakout performance as a fifth year senior. Uh, and and to the to the extent that it felt like they didn't even play on the same teams together, there was such a separation. Are you saying that that you know five years after recruiting, Mac probably is two years into the NFL, and Ben Davis is sort of blossoming as a fifth year senior? Is that sort of the yes, yes? Okay. This is this is because yes, they did play together at Foley High School, and this is going to be, but this is like Reuben Foster, right? Guess what? Reuben Foster, we were like, is Reuben Foster ever going to contribute as an Alabama linebacker? Yeah, but he was kicking rear end on on special teams, though. If you okay, the reason I think that uh the reason I think that there's still hope for Ben Davis is there's depth issues in the middle, and Mac Wilson's gonna be gone after this year. That's where I'm going with that. So do I think Ben Davis has the opportunity to compete against Markel Bennett and Joshua McMillan and L uh, and KO? Yes, I do. Well, so, somebody we'll needs to. I will say that somebody needs to, and I have not seen it. Uh, but there, I would say, wow, I'm glad we got that listener question because we would not have had that conversation and, and we would not have realized that we were on complete opposite ends of that spectrum. And look, I, I'm hoping that you're right. One thing, and if like there were a drinking game on the podcast, you would hear, you would drink every time you heard me say, I don't root for injury. But the way that you set it up, that Ben Davis has been, you know, fighting some injuries, maybe I am rooting that he has been injured. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm with you. All right, give me your mini game ball because you've already stole mine. So give me yours so I can come up with another one. Uh, I Well, this I may be stealing them again. I'm going LeBron Ray for all the reasons that I've talked about. Okay, no, LeBron Ray was going to be mine. I will say that dude was even holding up at the point of attack, yep. and and was and was and was basically sealing off the edge, and uh, was just really pleased with how he played. Yes, uh, mine's going to go for the other guy that you called out, Jared Maiden. Oh yeah, yeah. And, okay. And, and I and I want to talk about. Give me that. I want to talk about when he was in the dime. Uh, when he was in on the dime formation on a third down pass play, third and five, where uh, the quarterback did not look at anybody else except this one receiver, and he saw it, and he jumped the route, and he almost got an interception. Yes. And he showed even quicker speed than we see from McKinney uh, and Deontay – I'm sorry, quicker speed than we see from Thompson 
And so, guys, just watch out for this guy because I think he's a faster Xavier McKinney. And uh, that was a that was a that was a nice flash of a play. And and just keep an eye on number twenty one. He's going to make a big play between now and the end of the season. No, I think you're right. And I think you know if you think about you know sort of the psychology of a quarterback. Not that I ever was one, but um, you know you see, hey, I'm already throwing in a tight window, tight windows, and this guy I've never heard of before just just made a tighter window, and now I've got to line back up and try to throw the ball again. Uh, and and you know I just think there's something to that. Um, and so yeah, that was a great play that he made. I'm so glad that you called him out. Uh, so yeah, very good there. Kudos to uh, his, kudos to his confidence too. Yeah, All right, so let's absolutely. talk about let's talk about special teams real quick. Um, so what what is your thoughts on you know the the freshman had won the job he had not gotten but one chance to punt in the last three ball games. Uh, what is what is your take on uh, you know Mike getting the punting duties even. What's your take on the senior getting getting the uh, getting his number called and, and having two punts on the day? Well, I three just three bullet points. Um, you know, Tommy got that one right because you called it last week. Um, the fact that it was sort of funny that he punted twice, uh, which is more than more times than we had punted in the last three games combined, and then just the personal story of uh, of Mike transferring down his mother he's from Alabama his mother had cancer she's passed away and uh and and he's still you know continuing uh you know play football and and uh and punt and just I I'm sure like there was an emotional release that he had sometime over the weekend and I'm so glad that um you know you feel for the kid but the fact that he went out there and punted and he had two punts of exactly 41 yards um, and look, I will sign up for that for the rest of the season. Um, I think that's a win for the, the team. Well, this just speaks real quick to what we've talked about with our punt returners, right? In the years before, you know, in previous years, we would talk about we just want somebody who's going to handle the ball, right? We don't care if you're going to return it for a touchdown. Just don't let the ball bounce 20 yards, right? Yeah. Just just yeah. save that field position. Well, I think Saban's saying, you know what? We're going to give you a shot, and if you can just come in here and not kick a 12-yarder, you got the job. It's all about, and and we've sort of broken this down more than we will today, but it's floors instead of ceilings, right? Just let me know what I can consistently get, and I can work with that. And if you can consistently get me, you know, 40 yards, 38 to 43 yards, I don't need anything else. I can I can just let me know what I'm going to get, and I'll work with that. Well, I think to set up our story, right, what makes this so cool to talk about, right, which is why we do this show, is that both kicks were exactly the same. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's almost too perfect, right? He hit I mean, two 41-yarders. He, he, he threw us a softball to talk about on the podcast. Right, yeah. Oh, that was too That was too awesome. Um, we, <laughs> we made eight straight PATs. Okay, right, so let's talk about Bolivus real quick, right? So at the end of the game – when we're running the ball and he's just, you know, he's not trying to show up, you know, uh, he's, he's not trying to show up, uh, you know, anybody. And and, and sure. he, he literally is just trying to get out of there. And Jeremy started running the ball. So he's like, okay, I'll start running the ball. You know, Gary Danielson did bring up, you know, do we let this guy come in and get a kick here? You know, we are in Neyland Stadium and, 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 sure. and you're going to need these special teams later. So what's your thought there? Because – I get why he didn't do it. I get why he ran the ball on fourth and five and we gave the ball to them on downs. 
but you're winning by you, you've you've already scored 58. I think a little selfishly there, it's okay to kick a field goal and make it 61 for the kids' confidence who might need on a run to a national championship versus run the ball. What him running the ball in fourth and five is what I love about Saban because nobody else in America does that, right? Urban Meyer would never do that. Right. But do you let the kid kick one there because you already broke the 50 barrier that Saban can't stand? Do you go ahead and kick one there? I think I think 60 is the new 50. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. I like that. Um, so, look, I, I don't want to go all numerology, but I think if the score had been 51, then what's the difference between 51 and 54? That's It's the same number. If the score had been 41, what's the difference between 41 and 44? It's the same number. The difference between 58 and 61 is a bigger number. Um, and so I the fact that, that you had to go to a new 10th digit is what yeah. the issue was. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well tell me what, what else jumped out at you on special teams? Obviously the, the, you know, we don't like the fair catch rule. You know, it is football, right? This isn't girly, girly ball. Uh, this isn't flag football. So I can't stand the rule that you can freaking do a fair catch now and get it at the 25. And so I kind of laughed at the fact that, because he screwed it up, they got the ball on the two. I thought I actually kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, I, I guess points for using this word two podcasts in a row, but there's a little bit of sort of shock and Freud, and I'm probably just butchering the term. But, you know, seeing them mess that up so significantly, I, you know, I got a kick out of. Uh, and that seemed to be in a, a, a sequence of, of plays that were really going south you know, for Tennessee at that time, which, you know, that that's fun to watch as well. Um, you know, I was it Jalen Moody. I think he had a, a, you know, he's one of those middle linebackers, true freshman um, that, that, uh, 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 that had a play. And so he's on that trajectory, you know, and we've talked about this before. And so I'll look to see, you know, more from him, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that there was a whole lot on special teams, that really stood out to me other than, you know, what we've talked about. The punt has been a question mark. And look, that's been a question mark since last year when, you know, JK was wrapping up his career. And so I don't know that we've had an answer to that. And I don't even know if Saturday was an, was a long-term answer, but at least it was a stay on the question. Uh, and I'll take that right now. And I will take that for the balance of the season. Sure, if you're a team outscoring people, right, and you're a team that's gone a couple games without a punt, uh, if you can come in and just and just hit it when you do hit it, other teams are like crap. There's an opening we thought we had. We don't even have that. Exactly. So, exactly. all right. So, so obviously we got the bye week. It comes at a great time. Uh, obviously, you know we got guys here that that need to to get better, um, and and need to heal up. Uh, but then we got LSU at LSU, which obviously has has boded well for this football team in years past in this rivalry. Uh, what do you what do you think? You know what what do you think that game is going to shape up and look like? Well, I'm going to say something that 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 may come across as is the most insensitive thing that I've ever said on a podcast, and I mean this only is 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 a sense of humor. Um, I I wonder if we didn't have somebody that gave you know, Brandon Hunter, a 12 pack of beer getting off the plane in Tuscaloosa and said, go do something stupid because we need a bad example. Um, and, and what he did was just absolutely horrific. Uh, you know, getting a DUI, you know, Sunday morning, 
Saturday night. And I don't condone that in any in any degree, in any measure. But the fact that he went out and served as a bad example for the rest of the team just gives something, saving something to jump up and down about, um, you know, this next week and certainly next weekend and for players to take care of their business. Well, you and I have used the expression, you got to win the bye week and you win the bye week by not doing anything stupid. And so we had one guy that's probably as far back in the roster as you're ever going to get that did something stupid. And now that's done. It's out of the way. I don't think we see any more of that over the next couple of weeks. So that's good for the team. Um, And so that's sort of one thing. When I think about LSU, I think about how tough and talented they are. Their defense is outstanding. You know, they've got a uh, they've got a corner and a safety and a middle linebacker that's probably, you know, top in the country at, at, or near the top in the country at each of their respective positions. But I see their offense and they struggle. And I just think that they may slow down the Alabama scoring machine, but they will not keep up even with that reduced pace. You know, no one expected this LSU football team to come in seven and one into this ball game. You know, four and one in the SEC. Um, obviously, they they won at Auburn against a you know a, a team that we didn't. You know, Auburn's not what we expected them to be, right? But they they did win. You know, at home against you know a good Georgia football team by twenty points. But when you look back at the stats in that ball game, you know Georgia had four turnovers, right? And so. Even with the four turnovers, uh, they were not able to, you know, they were six of nine on third downs. They they ran the ball 51 times in that game for 300 yards. So what I think you see in this game is I think you see an LSU team that's going to try to run the ball 40 or 50 times, and they're going to try to shorten this game as much as they can, and they're going to hope their defense can keep it close and they're going to hope their defense can get a couple turnovers, right, so that they can somehow get some easy points. But, you know, you can't gauge this game based on the Georgia game because of those four turnovers. And so I think this is going to be the first game in several years, you know, in Baton Rouge that's not close. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we're going to be able to actually have a few extra drinks and, and feel good about this game. I, I think this is going to be something like a – I think it's going to be something like a 38 to 13 ball game. And so just like the Tennessee game we just finished, this is not going to be the typical Alabama LSU nail biter that, you know, we've had down there for the past few, a few times we've played. I think you're exactly right. And, um, you know, I was talking to someone, I was talking to, you know, a coworker about, uh, you know, Burrow and, 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 and he's a good quarterback and he's done well for the LSU program. But and and here's sort of the magic on him. He's a 50% passer. Just somehow he gets the right half. He completes the right half of the passes. Um, and but you know, and he's 50%, but there's a lot of drops in there. And I think against Florida, his receivers did not help him a lick. Um, and I, you know, if you look at his numbers compared to Tua, it is just it it the the difference is is just mind-boggling. Um, you know, he's thrown six touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, you know, he has thrown uh, 71 more passes for only 17 more yards. I mean, it is just the numbers are, 
It just and in fact less yards, so I'm screwing up all the numbers. But uh, he, yeah, 71 more passes for 17 more completions, and 522 less yards. Um, and so if if you just did a blind sort of taste test on his numbers, you would say that's a bad quarterback. Um, the fact that LSU has become so accustomed to bad quarterback play that it's it's that the fact that he's just a little bit better and has a little bit of poise that they've been missing, it's like they all think he's the best quarterback ever because he's just a little bit better looking than the last one. Um, and I think that that is exposed. Um, I saw where the line is 13 points. And I just think after watching them against Mississippi State over the weekend, that that is low. I think that's low. I think Vegas probably knows it's low, but they've got to set it where they're going to get, you know, some action on both sides. I wrote down 28 to six and I did that. Like if, you know, if you, if you halved our score against, you know, Tennessee and you have their score about, you know, across Mississippi State, then that's about what you get 28 to six. Um, I, I thought, you know, 28 to six and this, you know, and this is the second time we've done this, um, 28 to six, 38, 13 is kind of what I was thinking. And you said 38, 13 kind of feels like it's that type of, that type of game. And I, it is, we sit here today. I don't know how they get to 13, uh, based on what I've seen from their offense. And, and I feel a little bit homery saying that, but I also see what we've been doing and, and I've watched them a couple times and I have watched them. I mean, they're physical, they're big and they're tough, but I've seen them be inept. Um, I've seen them be inept. And the fact that they beat Georgia, I think Georgia has their own struggles uh, with their quarterback, with their ground game and, you know, four turnovers, that's going to cost you. I mean, we dropped the game to, to Ole Miss because we had five turnovers and uh, and that was and and we believe that that was an anomaly. I think Georgia losing to LSU was an anomaly because of the four turnovers. Um, I think Alabama's in control early and often. Maybe the pace. We don't have 21 points in the first quarter. Okay, um, but I th- I think I think you're right. I think control of the game is is taken early and is not relinquished and Alabama wins and what will be a comfortable win. And, and, and the media is not going to say this, right? Because they're going to, they're going to build up the game. They're going to build up LSU having a chance. They're going to build all this stuff up. And uh, you know, come Saturday evening, it's going to be, that was a lot to do about nothing. Well, they've got to build it up, right? Cause they got to, you know, they got people got going to watch, right? Sure. They got to have the, they got to have the viewership, right? And I understand so, that side of it. I understand. And 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 you and I don't have to play that role, right? And right. so that, that's where we can do, you know, what it is that, that we do. And I just there's a part of me that doesn't feel right saying that it's gonna be that, but it's gonna be that. Oh, absolutely. But the reason the reason it's going to be as close as it's going to be, or excuse me, the reason that LSU was able to do what they did against Georgia is because of their defense. I mean, they 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 do have a lot of athletes, right? Let's face it they 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 have a lot of athletes and always do have a lot of horses. And so, um, but this will be a different game uh, than what we have had 
um, in in these you know in these games as you know as of late. And so we will be able to sit back and and I don't you know Gary Danielson said that Tua does not play in the fourth quarter till the LSU game. I'm going to say he doesn't play in the LSU game of this one. Yeah, I'm not convinced he plays in the fourth quarter here either. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I really am not. And especially against um, – and, and not that I think LSU is a cheap shot team. This is not the team that I was referencing earlier. Uh, but they are a, a damn physical team. And, I, and, and so when you get into the second half, the late third, into the fourth, I think we're running clock at that time. And so I do think that – that uh, that we do bring uh, Jalen in at that at, at that stage, and we're trying to keep the ball on the ground. We're trying to simplify. We're trying to run four minute offense. We're trying to burn off clock. We're trying to do all of these things, and and I think two is out at that point. I think I think the game is over. I'll say this: um, I I think Devin White is one of the best linebackers in the country. I don't agree that it was targeting uh, against uh, Mississippi State that it has him out the first half of this game. I think by the time he comes back, probably the game is over. Um, and I, But I think the final score, I don't know that he would have made the difference. And so as much as I hate that, you know, you want to, you know, strength on strength um, and, you know, to the to the extent that they have a built-in excuse and, you know, they can do the, the, the Colt McCoy kind of thing. If we have to listen to that, then that's what we have to listen to. But I, I, I feel comfortable – you know, oh, you know, two weeks away, two weeks out, saying that he will have not made the difference. Oh yeah, but it 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 does definitely not hurt that he is not in the ball game for sure. No, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. But I'm just, I don't, you know. And look, he's a no. I'm with you. Well, well, player, I'd like to see the matchups and and all of that. Uh, maybe one of the better defenders, and I like Dillpot and I like Greedy Williams. Uh, but in terms of, you know, uh, he, he plays with a ferociousness. I've used that word twice already, I know. Um, but I, I think he plays with that sort of passion, uh, especially at the line of scrimmage. I like their defensive front, but if you get into the secondary, I think that helps our running game. And so I do think they, they will miss him. I just don't think he will have made the difference when it's all said and done. No, that's fair. Well, listeners, we appreciate y'all listening to this longer show. This is Alabama, Tennessee. And so uh, there was a lot to, of good stuff to talk about. We wanted to relish in, in these good moments of, of uh, winning a 12th one in a row against them. Absolutely. Uh, but we do appreciate you checking out the, the longer uh, podcast. Absolutely. And uh, and with that, we'll, we'll still catch up on the listener stuff, but I think we've run long today, so we won't, we won't catch it now. But uh, as, as Tommy indicated, we greatly appreciate you guys reaching out to us. We appreciate your questions. We touched on one of them today. If you have more questions, certainly send them our way and, uh, and we will work our way through them. We love engaging with you. We appreciate so much the feedback and the reviews, the five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, go check us out there. Uh, subscribe, leave us a review, and if you have any questions, we'll pick those up too. Uh, with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. 
check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.